You're listening to the eFree Lethbridge Podcast. What a beautiful picture of community that we've already experienced today as we had our kids up in the front and multi-generations here in the, in the service. And that's what we're going to be talking a little bit about today. I just got back from a brief summer vacation, took some time off and went camping this past week up in Kimbrook Island with my family. It was beautiful. Uh, I didn't do a lot of what I typically do on summer vacation, which is read books. Last summer, I read a lot of books, some for self-development and, and you know, professional development, but a lot, particularly in the summer, just fiction. And I read a book last summer called A Man Called Ove. I'm not Swedish, so I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right. It's by Frederick Backman. Uh, he wrote it in Swedish, translated to the English. It's about an irritable retiree and widower who vigilantly enforces the neighborhood association rules in his neighborhood. And the irony is that while he lives in a planned community, he does not experience community at all. He is isolated until a chatty couple shows up and moves in along with their chatty kids and flatten his mailbox as they back their trailer into the, into the driveway. And you throw in an unkempt cat and you have ingredients for a hilarious and moving story about a man who discovers community and with it, purpose and joy. It was one of those books that I was sad to finish. I didn't want it to end. It was beautifully written, beautifully translated. I recommend it to you if you haven't read it and are looking for something to read this summer. But more than that, I didn't want it to end because it struck a chord that filled my soul with longing. And the best way that I could describe the feeling as I process why did this book resonate so much with me is I recognized it created a sense of homesickness in me. I longed for the community and the relationships that Ova had experienced. I was homesick. And I recognized in that moment, and, and it reaffirmed to me what I am convinced of, that, that we as individuals are absolutely made for community, not isolation. These words are attributed to Mother Teresa. It's not clear if she actually said them or not, but she definitely lived this out. Uh, She said to have said that the most terrible poverty is loneliness and the feeling of being unloved. The most terrible poverty is loneliness. According to the latest census by Statistics Canada, one in 10 of us in Canada who are over the age of 15, one in 10 of us are always or often lonely. 20% of those in Canada over 65 years old are always or often lonely. 15% of women identify that they are always or often lonely. And if you just take the group of women between 15 and 24, 29% of them say they're often or always lonely. Susan Pinker defines loneliness as feeling alone against our will. And we, in that definition, she recognizes that it's possible to be present in a community, in a room like this, filled with people, and still feel alone, disconnected. And she recognizes that it's also possible to be alone, in reality, surrounded by no one against your will, and that this is a reality experienced by many in our society. 
We recognize that despite our best efforts and expressions of community, they're, they're always going to fall short of what we were made for and what we long for because sin has wrecked our enjoyment and experience of community. It taints every relationship. And as a sinner, as soon as I enter into that relationship and that community, I bring my sin with me and it taints the community that I'm a part of. And yet, the Psalms don't allow us to give up on community. The Psalms assume that community is necessary and normal. It's the normal expression, it's the right expression of humanity. We see this in the biblical story right from the beginning of history. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 18, in the Common English Bible, it says, The Lord God said, It's not good for the human to be alone. It's not good for the human to be alone. And the creation of the woman delivers the man from isolation and places him in relationship and they find community, a small community, but an intimate community. And this first creation expands to include offspring and eventually gives rise to villages and cities and societies. Stanley Grenz in his commentary, Theology for the Community of Faith, not a commentary, but a systematic theology uh, community of God says this, what begins in the Garden of Eden finds its completion at the consummation of history. We see it in the book of Revelation described for us. God's will for his creation is the establishment of a human society in which his children enjoy perfect fellowship with each other, the created world and the creator. And the Psalms reflect and highlight this intention. Many commentators uh, believe that Psalm 1 and 2 give us a framework for understanding the entire book of Psalms, the entire book of prayers and hymns that is collected for us in this book called Psalms. The Psalms begin with this blessing, verse 1 of chapter 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. And then it ends with, this frame ends with chapter 2, verse 12, at the end of chapter, or verse 12, blessed are all who take refuge in him. Blessed is the community we could paraphrase it as. Blessed. That word is sometimes translated happy depending on which translation of the Bible you're using, but the reality is that there is no English word that really captures the full sense of the Hebrew word that's translated blessed or, or happy. It, it incorporates this idea of, of total well-being, totally good is the one. This idea of flourishing and succeeding, not just in the external sense of wealth and winning, but a, a deep sense of well-being and wholeness. It is well with my soul. And the purpose, or the person who is blessed is experiencing God's good life in every area of their life. So how do we become blessed? Well, the psalmist tells us in, in chapter one, or in Psalm one, in the negative sense, he says this, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. So if you wanna be blessed, if you wanna have a sense of total well-being, avoid the advice, avoid the lifestyle, avoid the community of wicked people. And then positively, he says, whose delight, verse two, is in the law of the Lord, 
and who meditates on his law day and night. Positively, the one who is blessed is the one who submits to, who follows the Lord's law, the Lord's instructions. And and, and the premise of these psalms, of these first two psalms, and we see it all through the book of Psalms, is when God and his instructions are the central governing feature of our lives, the center around which we order all the rest of our schedule, our time, our, our ambitions, our priorities, our dreams, when we order everything around God and his instructions, we will be blessed. We will be fulfilled. Now, the Psalms tell us in this framework that God is not only concerned about you as an individual being blessed and flourishing. His intention in creation is that individuals will be completely fulfilled and formed within flourishing communities. And we see this reflected all through the Psalms. We saw in the framework, blessed is the one, blessed are all, blessed is the community. And we see when we understand this framework, we start to see whispers of it all through the first two Psalms. These images and words that draw us back to seeing God's good life and the opposition to God's good life through the lens of community. Again, negatively, we see it in verse one, the company or the assembly, the community of the mockers. Contrasted to chapter 1, verse 5, the assembly or the community of the righteous. In chapter 2, verse 1, we see that that he addresses nations, which is a form of community. In chapter 2, verse 2, he addresses a rebel alliance, which is another form of community. There's this pattern that you start to see all throughout the Psalms where the individual and the community are in interact with one another. For example, in Psalm chapter 26, verse 12, which is really the, the living out of Psalm verse 1, David says, my feet stand on level ground. My feet, the individual, my feet stand on level ground. In the great congregation, in the assembly, in the community, I will praise the Lord. You see, the Psalms tell us that what we do and experience and go through as individuals matters and it's magnified when we bring it into the congregation, when we bring it into the community and share it with the people around us. And when you're aware of this pattern, it shows up everywhere in the Psalms. This is a reflection of God's intention. My faith is not meant to be private. My life wasn't intended to be private. My faith and my life were intended by God to be lived in the context of community, in relationship, openly before each other. And as I bring my life and my faith to the assembly, to the community, I shape the life and faith of the community. And as the members of the community, as you bring your life and your faith to the assembly, Your life and faith shape mine. This is a reflection of God's intention. It's also a reflection of God's identity. In the Evangelical Free Church of Canada's statement of faith, the first statement says, we believe in one God eternally existing as a loving unity of three equally divine persons. It's a reflection of the doctrine of the Trinity. God exists in Trinity. One God, three persons, a form of community. This is who God is. And when we live in community, we reflect his identity. When God is at the center of our life, and when God is at the center of our community, 
our lives and our community will reflect his intention and identity. God's intention for creation is that individuals will be fully formed within flourishing communities. It's interesting as I was preparing for this topic that the Bible never really defines community as much as it describes community. There's no definition of what community should be. You kind of have to pick it up as you read through the scriptures. It's as if the community has to be experienced rather than explained, or better experienced at least than explained. And and when we look at the book of Psalms, we discover that the Psalms take a really broad definition of what's included in the idea of community. Essentially, a community in the book of Psalms is anywhere there's more than one person. We already saw it in chapter 1, verse 1. We had a community of mockers in Psalm verse. In Psalm 2, that the community includes nations, and if you read through the rest of the Psalms, you'll see communities include families and friends and sacred assemblies and rebellious alliances and kingdoms and cities and socioeconomic groups and geopolitical realities. Everything can be community wherever there's more than one person. Psalms, like the rest of scripture, are less concerned about defining community than describing what a flourishing or blessed community is. And Psalm chapter two indicates that a blessed community, a flourishing community, is a community that submits to and trusts God. Verse 11, serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Trust God. Uh, a community that is blessed is a community that secondly submits to and trusts the Lord's anointed. Verse 12, kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. In our time, of course, this is Jesus, the Messiah. We recognize him as the anointed one, the son of God that we follow and submit to. And as we do so, we will be blessed. We will flourish. The community that is blessed is the community that seeks the Lord and his will, his instruction. In the Hebrew, the Torah, the first books of the Bible. Uh, The community that's blessed is the community that hopes in the Lord. Doesn't trust in its own strengths or abilities, but places its trust and its hope in God. And as you look at the characteristics of a blessed community and compare them to the blessed individual in Psalm chapter one, you discover that a blessed community has essentially the same characteristics as the blessed individual, which makes sense because the community reflects the individuals who make up the community. So if we're blessed individuals who have God at the center of our lives, when we come into community, it's likely that we will be flourishing as a community and have God at the center. We find another description of a flourishing community in the New Testament. We find it in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. It says this. Let me read it for you. They devoted themselves, that is the the followers of Jesus, after the day of Pentecost. This took place just after, shortly after Jesus' life, death, resurrection, ascension into heaven. The spirit was poured out. People came to trust Jesus. And this is the description of the community. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. 
They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. There's that word flourishing or blessing again, that same idea. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Do these words describe your experience of community, of Christian community? When, when you think of the church, are these the words that come to mind? This is a description of the flourishing community that was formed shortly after Pentecost, the birth of the church. And notice what's at the center of this community. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. This echoes the, the flourishing community in Psalm chapter two. It submits to and trusts the Lord's instruction. Now in the New Testament, the apostles' teaching, the teaching of Jesus. For a community to truly flourish, it must be centered around and governed by the Lord and his instruction. Everything that we do must revolve around, be governed by Jesus and his instruction. The individuals and the community must be devoted to the teaching of Jesus, committed to it, despite the cost, despite the opposition, despite how awkward it might seem in our culture or our world, we are devoted to the teaching of Jesus. They're also devoted to fellowship, devoted to relationship. Devotion requires commitment and, and sacrifice. You see, I think we like the idea of community, but the reality of community is difficult. During our gathering sneak peeks that we held in June, one of the questions we asked around the table was, what are some barriers to community? And there was all sorts of answers, but here are some that kind of came to the, to the top. One, community requires time. I like community when it fits with my schedule and my priorities, right? But to be devoted to relationship, to be devoted to community means that my, the community is not just a good intention, it is an intentional priority. Rather than kind of filling my schedule and seeing where I can fit community in, I put community as the first priority in my schedule and then fit everything else around it as much as I'm able to. Community requires time. To be devoted to it requires time. It requires frequency. Look at this description in Acts 2, 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and broke bread in their homes. Every day. Okay, but that was a different time. There's no way that could work now, right? Maybe. Certainly doesn't seem practical or possible when I look at my own schedule. But let's not give up on the whole project just because we can't do it every day. What if we could just turn up the dial of the frequency of our relationships just a notch? What, what if rather than shooting for every day right off the start, what if we could just dial it into monthly commitment? Could we make that work? And this is what we're calling you to together as the church community is a, is a year around the table by gathering with a consistent group of people once a month for intentional conversation. We're asking you to commit, to devote yourself to that. Further, we can use technology, right? They, they had to meet in person or send somebody who would walk with a letter a long ways. But technology means that we don't have to be together to connect. 
We can text, we can phone, we can video call, we can email, we can even drop a card in the mail and somebody still has to walk it to the mailbox. But we can do all of those things. And I know it's not the same as being together, but let's, it's got to be better than silence and nothing, doesn't it? Can we start there? What if we committed to, to even doing that just more frequently with our community? Would that have an impact on our experience of connectedness and relationship? What if we were just willing to try it at least? Just try it. Commitment to community requires time. It requires frequency, which requires sacrifice and submission. See, true community means that I don't always get my own way or my preference doesn't always rule. True community involves mutual submission. No matter how careful and choosy I am when I form my community, there will always be people who sneak into it that that will not like what I like or who will not think like I do, who talk about God in ways that I find weird or boring or who find the way that I talk about God weird, wrong, or boring. There will be people in my community who make mistakes and intentionally or unintentionally, they will make my life difficult and who sometimes they might need my help and require my time and my resources and my money and from whom I may need to ask for time and resources and money. Community is messy. We risk making mistakes. It means we probably have to engage difficult conversations, conversations that we'd rather not have if we're truly going to experience community and that is risky. So community requires vulnerability as well. One of the characteristics of the first human community is that they were naked and felt no shame. This is where David Taylor gets the title of his book about the Psalms and where we get the title of our sermon series, Open and Unafraid. We want to be known, but we don't want to be shamed. So we hide from one another. We hide behind fig leaves of success, happiness, We hide behind fig leaves of isolation. And coming out from behind those fig leaves is risky. See, one of the lies of the enemy is that no one will love you or truly accept you if they really know who you are. And the problem is that that lie has been proven true by our experience. Too often we've been rejected. Too often we've been shamed for who we are. And we've learned by experience, not to expose ourselves or make ourselves vulnerable. David Taylor in his book, Open and Unafraid, says this, this is the terrifyingly good news of the Psalms. The community sees it all. The community gets to see it all. The community gets to help us be open and unafraid. God's intention for creation is that individuals will be completely fulfilled and formed within flourishing communities. I don't want to leave you with the wrong impression. The community of the early church that we read about in Acts chapter 2 was not perfect. Just a few chapters after this idyllic description of the church, a dispute breaks out along racial and ethnic lines and divisions erupt within the church. 
The Psalms don't, they paint a, a, a beautiful picture of what community could be, but they're also very realistic about what community actually is. It, they acknowledge the risk and the mess and the heartache of community. There are Psalms about friends betraying friends. There are Psalms about friends becoming enemies. And there are Psalms about disappointment and, and things not going the way that it should go. And yet, community means we're not alone in those sorrows or in our celebrations. Community means that others hear our desperate cries and our exuberant shouts of joy, and they join us in them, and they share them with us, so our burdens aren't so heavy and our joys are magnified. Community means that even when we don't see answers to our prayer, we're encouraged to keep praying and keep hoping, because there are people around us who are with us, who support us, and we are not alone. And even more than that, community means that in those times when I cannot find the words or the will or the strength to utter prayers to God, when I am so desperate that I can't even say anything, you step in and pray on my behalf, giving words to my desperation, my confusion, and my pain. Community means that I am part of something bigger than myself. And as followers of Jesus, as members of a community that has the Lord at the center, we belong to a community that transcends time and transcends geography, transcends space. As Hebrews 12 puts it, we're surrounded by a community of witnesses who have run the race before us and who share our trials and our triumphs and who cheer us on. And we are part of a community that will cheer on future generations as we hand off the baton of faith and they run their race and we will share their triumphs and their trials and cheer them on. God's intention for creation is that individuals will be fulfilled and formed within flourishing communities. So I encourage you to lean into community. Maybe you won't meet daily, but can you just turn it up a notch at least? Let me give you some practical ways. First of all, I've talked about it already, the gathering. It's a once a month meeting with a consistent group of people for intentional conversation. We're hoping to launch it this fall. We'll hold another sneak peek in August. So if you're not sure what it is, you can come and experience it. As I've said all along, it's easier experience than explained or at least better experience than explained. So stay tuned for a date on that. We're looking for people who will facilitate and host these groups and gatherings. And so if you're interested and have more questions, please come and talk to me. Secondly, as you heard in the announcements, we have the picnic in the park coming up. And Chelsea reminded us again as well. With well, the picnic in the park coming up next week after the service in Nicholas Sharon, I think it's by the playground in Nicholas Sharon. Just look for the e-free flag and you'll find it there. Join us there. It might not be totally convenient for you but it's a way to develop community. And as you think about joining us there, also think about making a commitment to lean into the awkwardness. Because if you're like me, when you walk into a group of people, you immediately look for where you're safe and secure. Who do I know and I'm gonna go there? Can I encourage you to first, or at least some point, within the afternoon, to meet somebody you don't know and introduce yourself? Be open. At church, when you see someone sitting by themselves, lean into the awkwardness and 
invite yourself to sit with them and join in a conversation. When you see someone you haven't seen before, lean into the awkwardness, take the risk, introduce yourself. Can I tell you, so many times I say to someone, I haven't met you before and I hold up my hand to shake hands, which is risky right now because we don't all shake hands yet, that's fine. And they say, well, I've been coming here for years. It's awkward. Just lean into it, embrace it. The truth is, we haven't met before. You see me because I'm up here, but I haven't got your name yet. So let's just lean in and embrace the awkwardness. It's even worse when they said, well, yeah, we inter- you, know, you met me last week. <laughs> even more awkward. I'm terrible at remembering names. I can't be the only one like this, right? So let's just lean into the awkwardness and let's forgive each other when we make mistakes. We're trying. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to practice this right now and for a couple minutes and I'm going to close my sermon after that. I'm going to invite you, we're going to do something that we haven't done for a long time and some of you are happy we haven't done it for a long time. (laughs) Too bad. Uh, We're going to lean into the awkwardness and I'm going to ask you to just talk to somebody who's sitting near you. If you haven't met them before, introduce yourself. If you know them, tell them, What is a highlight from your summer so far or something that you're looking forward to for the summer yet to come? Okay, so stand up. Turn to, you don't have to shake hands. (laughs) Lean into the awkwardness. I'll call you back in a minute. If you're online, you can do this in the comments. I saw a few people standing awkwardly, but most of you engaging in community, so that's really great. Thank you very much. The reality is, as we engage in community, we might make some mistakes along the way. You might be like me and introduce yourself to somebody that you've introduced yourself to before. And we're just going to lean into the awkwardness in that. You might offend somebody. We're going to lean into the awkwardness because we're also a community of grace where we offer forgiveness to one another. The reality is that, that as good as it is, it was really good to hear the sound of conversation in this room, uh, even just for a few moments. As good as it is, the community that we experience here is not going to be perfect. Sometimes it's going to be even the opposite of perfect and really hard. But in the end, the Psalms remind us that flourishing community is possible. And in fact, it's inevitable because it depends on God. In the end, we will experience flourishing community. Revelation tells us this. We'll experience it someday because Jesus is at the center and he's inviting all people to come to him. In the end, we will be part of a flourishing community. If Jesus is at the center of our lives, we will be part of a flourishing community made up of the unlike and the like, rich and poor, powerful and powerless, that includes individuals from every tribe and language and people and nation formed by the Spirit into a new community with Jesus at the center, bearing witness to God's good life everywhere for all time. And in the meantime, in our present reality, while we wait for that community to be born, we get to practice living in such community, and by God's grace, we get to glimpse and maybe even give glimpses of what true community looks like and what it means for individuals to be fully formed within flourishing communities. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us into your family, a community, by your spirit, through your son. And we recognize that as we experience and express your community, your intention for community to our world and to one another, that we won't be perfect. We still fight sin and selfishness and self-centeredness. We still want to put ourselves at the center of community rather than you at the center and your word. But deep down, we long for that experience of community, that, that experience of coming home, that place we were made for. And so we pray with John at the end of Revelation, even so come, Lord Jesus, because we know that until you come, our experience of community will be incomplete, and as home-like as it is, it will never fully be home until you're here. Until then, until then, don't let us give up. Help us to keep you at the center of our lives as individuals and the center of our gatherings as communities. Help us to experience and express to our world what community could look like. Help us to get a taste of what's waiting for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the E-Free Lethbridge podcast. We'll see you next week.